What's going on, Bulls Nation? This is the Bloody Horns Podcast brought to you by your host, Justin. So today we're going to change it up a little bit. Usually we are Chicago Bulls all the time throughout the season. I'm going to be giving you guys post-game recaps. Uh, any breaking news, we'll break that down on the pod. All Chicago Bulls all the time. But today we're going to change it up. We're going to preview the whole NBA season across the whole landscape of the league. I'm going to take a look team by team, see where I got these teams ranked, how the Bulls stack compared to them, and a couple predictions as far as award winners and everything else goes. So, yeah, we're just going to break down the whole NBA season today, give you a little bit of context on the uh, analysis behind it. Is A lot of my takes, you're going to notice, they're a little bit different than the mainstream media takes. Um, I feel like a lot of the mainstream media, one, they don't really watch these games. I mean, I'm a huge basketball fan. I've been watching since I was five years old. I've had league pass for like 10 years now. I'm always plugged in. If I'm at home uh, looking for something to do on a night, there's a 99% chance I got hoops on. So I've been playing basketball my whole life. I feel like I have a good understanding of the game. Um, whereas a lot of these people that you see talk about the game, they they like basketball, but they don't necessarily understand basketball. They can't really break down to you what they're seeing because they don't understand it at a fundamental level like that, where I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of the game, um, much more than a superficial understanding. Like I've really taken the time over my life to dig deep into this game, to dig deep into this league and uh, try to figure out, you know, why things work the way they work in this league. So Let's start out with the West Coast. So we'll take it to the other side, the other conference here to start out. So the West is going to be fun this year, man. There's a lot of good teams out West. Right now, the way that I got it breaking down is the six playoff teams in the West, the ones that I think are getting that playoff spot. I go number one, Denver Nuggets. Um, it's really hard to see how the Nuggets could be bad this year. One, they have Jokic. I mean, Jokic is... He's a monster. He's the reigning two-time MVP. You look at that team he had last year, and it was pretty much him, Aaron Gordon, Bones Highland, and then a bunch of scrubs. And they still got, you know, right around that 50-win mark, they still made the playoffs last year. So now you look at that roster, you still got Jokic. He's, he's right in his prime right now. There's not going to be any drop-off in his game anytime soon. So you're still throwing Jokic out there. Now you've surrounded him with a couple more pieces. You're getting Jamal Murray back. I watched him in the preseason. He looked rusty. He looked like he still needs to get his timing down. But physically, he looked good. He didn't look like he's lost a step. You never know coming off those knee injuries how guys are going to react. But physically, he looked good. It's just going to take him you know, a month or two to kind of get that timing, to get that rhythm back. So you're getting him back. You're getting Michael Porter Jr. back. He's a total wild card in my opinion. He has all the talent in the world. He's one of the best perimeter scorers in the league, but the dude just can't stay healthy. I mean, that's why he dropped in that draft is his medicals were just a nightmare. So teams didn't want to take a chance on him. And you've seen that play out over the course of his career. So they're counting on him being healthy this year. If he's healthy, that's a game changer for them. That's another perimeter score for them. It's going to make them even more deadly. Outside of him, they made some really nice additions to that team this offseason. I loved that uh, that KCP trade for them. KCP is the perfect player you can win with. I mean, he was on that Lakers bubble team. He was a huge part of that championship. Um, you saw him do some good things in Washington last year. 
He's just he's a good player you can plug into your team. He's going to play defense. He's going to hit his open shots. And you can't really ask for much more coming out of, uh, of you know, your third, fourth best player. They also added Bruce Brown, who that's a guy I wanted the Bulls to sign. I was looking at, uh, at their Javante Green and Derek Jones Jr. minutes last year. I was like, man, if we could get a Bruce Brown to just fill that spot in, that would be perfect. You saw him in Brooklyn. He plays that rim-running role, that uh, around-the-basket role where he's just always hunting the offensive glass, always cutting to the hoop. He plays that role perfectly. So I can only imagine what playing with a passer like Nikola Jokic is going to do for him. Uh, so that's going to make their team even better. I mean, you look at their starting five the way it's looking right now. They got Jokic. They got Aaron Gordon, who he never quite lived up to the potential we thought he was going to reach, but – He's a nice player. You know, you can win with him. And you got MPJ, you got KCP, you got Jamal Murray, you got Bruce Brown coming off the bench. They got some nice pieces here. Bones Highland is a killer. I love that dude. He's uh, he's going to make some noise in this league for a long time. Jeff Green doesn't seem to age. Uh, he's been in the league forever, and he's still doing his thing. He's still going to give you reliable minutes off the bench. So I got the Nuggets as the number one team. This year in the West, in the regular season, does that mean I think they're going to come out of the West? Not necessarily. I just think the way the West is playing out, when you look at teams like the Clippers and the Warriors and the Grizzlies when it comes to health and uh, when it comes to how much they rest their guys, the Nuggets aren't going to be doing all that. So I think the Nuggets have a real chance to get the most wins in the West this year and really contend for that number one seed out West. Number two, I got the LA Clippers, man. I love the Clippers roster on paper. Kawhi, I don't know if you guys have seen pictures of him right now, but that dude spent his last year off hitting the weights. He's got those Saquon Barkley-looking quads. He looks like he's ready to go. PG is looking healthy coming into this year. He went back to that that kind of uh, fade, that, that taper fade, went away from the braids. I think that's going to be huge for them, getting that old PG back, getting away from that braided PG back to that Back to that indie PG, that's going to be big for them. The John Wall signing, that was huge. Um, he's He provides a nice spark for them. So they got pieces everywhere. You look at the depth on this team. You got the three I just talked about. You got Ivan Zubak. He's a good young big. He kind of does everything you want your big man to do. Uh, they got wings for days. They got Norman Powell. He can put up 20 any night. He's also a nice perimeter defender. Robert Covington's a good defender. Uh, Nick Batum has been good for them ever since he got over there. Luke Kennard's a good shooter. You got Reggie Jackson. You got Terrence Mann. Like, they almost have too much depth, but it kind of works out well for them because you know Kawhi. Kawhi, even though he is healthy coming into this year, they're saying he's healthy and ready to go. He's still going to do that same Kawhi Leonard stuff. He's still going to pull that load management stuff. If you get 55 games out of Kawhi, that's a win. You know, he's not going to play the back-to-backs. He's going to sit out randomly. So them having this kind of depth, they can hopefully plug some of those pieces in. PG, he kind of gives me a little bit of worry just because we're coming off another year where he had to have a surgery. The dude's got to be close to double digits for surgeries now in his career. At some point, your body just can't keep up. But I don't think he's quite at that point yet, but I guess we'll see. And then John Wall, I mean, he looks good in the preseason. All the reports out of there that he's looking – kind of like his old self, but we haven't seen this dude play like real basketball in a long damn time. Even that little stretch he was with the Rockets two years ago where they, where they let him play a little bit, that wasn't really real basketball. That was a team that was tanking and they were kind of letting him do whatever he wanted. 
we haven't seen him have to play real basketball where he really has to fit in with the team and really has to try to win in like five years now. So it's going to be interesting to see how he fits with their pieces. It sounds like he's going to start the year coming off the bench, which could be exactly what he needs to kind of carry that second unit could be exactly what this team needs. So they're dangerous this year. They're a real threat to come out of the West. If everybody can stay healthy. Number three, this is where it kind of starts going off the books a little bit compared to what the national media is telling you. I got the Minnesota Timberwolves here, man. I live in Minneapolis. So a little bit closer to this team than a lot of Bulls fans listening are. Uh, diehard Bulls fan, but just living in Minneapolis, you know, you, you see stuff, you hear stuff, and this team looks ready to go. So the Rudy Gobert trade was a huge trade, probably the biggest trade of the offseason. And a lot of people clown the Wolves because of what they gave up. And yeah, they paid way too much for Rudy Gobert. You should never give up that many draft picks for a player like Rudy Gobert. But at the same time, he makes their team a lot better. I mean, you look at his Jazz teams the last four years, they were hovering right around 60 wins every single season. And now you got to ask yourself, is that more because of Rudy Gobert? Is that more because of Donovan Mitchell? And Donovan Mitchell gets all the flashy stats. He gets all the, uh, all the points. He does everything on the offensive side of things. But Rudy Gobert, I think he deserves probably more credit for that Jazz record than, than Donovan Mitchell does, to be honest. I mean, you look at Rudy Gobert, he's a defensive force. He locks the paint down. Uh, he bails out his teammates when they get beat off the dribble. He's a force on defense. He makes teams think twice about how they're going to attack. And then on offense, he doesn't put up the big numbers. He's not dropping 25 a game, but very effective off the pick and roll. Very effective rim runner. Very effective when it comes to crashing the offensive glass. And then the most underrated part of his game, because it doesn't show up in stats at all, is the screens he sets. Like He is the best screen setter in the NBA. He frees up a lot of guys for open jump shots coming off those screens. So you look at the Timberwolves, they got D'Angelo Russell, they got Anthony Edwards, they got guys who can attack coming off that screen. They're going to have so much more space with Rudy Gobert setting those screens now that I think is going to turn this team around. And you look at those Jazz teams, Rudy Gobert is a generational talent on the defensive end. And the Jazz's strategy pretty much year after year was, all right, we have Rudy Gobert, he can shore up for our weaknesses. So let's just surround him with the four worst defenders imaginable. I mean, Donovan Mitchell is terrible on defense. Mike Connolly is terrible on defense. Um, a lot of their guys were just horrible on defense. But Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert made up for it for them because he was so exceptionally talented on that end. Now you look at the Timberwolves roster, they don't have a lot of guys who are known for their defense, but they do have athletes. I mean, Cat... Say what you want about him. He's not the world's worst defender. He's not the world's best defender, but he can get out there. He can move a little bit. You got Anthony Edwards. He is a freak athlete. If that dude's not a good defender, it's 100% mental. Like He has all the physical talents it takes to be a lockdown defender on that end. And then they got McDaniels. And McDaniels got a lot of hype because reports emerged that he was untouchable in their trade talks, and that's why there were so many draft picks thrown in. But that kid is a freak athlete as well. He's long. He's lanky. He has exceptional lateral quickness. He's going to stay with you on the defensive end. He's going to make you work on the defensive end. He's a better defender um, right now than Rudy Gobert ever had with the Utah Jazz. So the Timberwolves look nice. I think they're going to, they're another one of those teams. They're not going to be coasting, you know, like the Warriors are going to coast a little bit. Uh, the Clippers, they're going to do load management. They're going to have some games where they coast. The Suns are going to coast. They're an older veteran team. 
they're not going to have nights like that. Like they're going all out. They're trying to win as many games as they can this season. They're going to be in the hunt for the one seed. I think they're going to fall into that three seed, but they got a lot of depth. They got a lot of nice pieces. Kyle Anderson was a great signing for them. He's a very important glue guy um, with the Grizzlies. Austin Rivers, everywhere that dude goes, they go to the playoffs. I'm not saying it's because of him. I'm not saying he's the reason. I'm just saying he knows how to play. Winning basketball, he knows his role very well. They got pieces. I think they're going to be pretty dangerous this year. I think they're going to take a lot of people by storm. I think they're going to fit right into that three seed. And then number four, my four seed is the team I actually think is going to win the title this year. It's the Golden State Warriors. Um, I think they are easily the most talented team in the NBA this year. You look at how deep they are. They got all their pieces back from last year. They just resolved Jordan Poole's contract issue. They just resolved Andrew Wiggins' contract, so they don't got that hanging over them. Wiseman looks healthy. I don't know if you guys watched him in the preseason, but he looks like you can understand why they use that draft pick on him. He's big. He can move. He's a very fluid athlete. He's going to be perfect playing in that system with them. So he's healthy. Kaminga looks like he's a little bit stronger. You know, he's one year more evolved into his game. All their reports out of camp is that Mo Mo uh, Moses Moody is looking like a killer. Like everything you're hearing out of Warriors camp right now is all Moody, Moody, Moody. So they got their three young pieces. They're ready to take that next step. They're ready to kind of bridge the gap for them. Then you look at the downside of the Warriors, and it's all Draymond, man. It's all Draymond. We all saw the video. We all saw what he did to Jordan Poole. It's hard to, I mean, unless you've you've been in those kind of situations. Me personally, I grew up, you know, playing sports my whole life. I never saw a situation like that. You know, we had a couple of little dust ups and practice and stuff, but never anything quite that bad. But then I went on and I competed, you know, for 15 years as a professional MMA fighter. And I definitely saw gym fights. There were a lot of days where, you know, I personally, I got into it with people in the gym, you know, real. I mean, we're training to fight, but there, it's still like a real legit, you know, gym fight, no gloves. Like we're going at it because of something that happened in the training session. But then we come back the next day and, you know, cooler heads have prevailed and we talk and it's all good. So I'm not saying the Warriors can't come back from it. I'm just saying it's, it's going to be a little tougher than they think. Not even necessarily because of just if it was just the punch. I think that'd be really easy to come back from. The part that makes it difficult is it's Draymond, and we've seen Draymond do this shit all the time. I mean, they win the 2016 finals if he can control his temper and not hit LeBron in the nuts. Um, I don't know if they win the 2019 finals if he doesn't, if the whole him and KD blow up doesn't happen because they lost that finals because everybody got healthy, so I don't know how, how them not going at it would change it, but... Draymond kind of ran KD out of town and everybody knows it. So we've seen this from Draymond time after time. I wonder if it's a little bit of the Antonio Brown type thing where Antonio Brown, when he was in Pittsburgh, like we saw little, little blowups. We heard little things, but they covered so much shit up. And then as soon as he got out of there, like, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this is who Antonio Brown is. Like he showed us his true colors. We saw exactly how difficult of a person he was to deal with and how good of an organization the Steelers were for keeping it all under wraps. I think this is Draymond's last year with the Warriors. So when he leaves this year, are we going to, are we going to see that? Are we going to see full blown Draymond? Are we going to see, you know, what a problem he was and how much the Warriors were able to kind of contain and keep in house. I don't know. That's definitely on the table. Draymond having his own podcast and already talking about wanting max money. I think that's going to put a big cloud over this team. It's going to put a big cloud over his play because, if you guys have been watching basketball, 
Draymond is not a max player. Like he's just not. He's still an above average defender. He's not quite at the elite level like he once was, but he's still a very good defender. He has no idea how to shoot. Like his shot fell off a cliff, and this has been going on for years now. It seems to only be getting worse. Still an exceptional passer, still still like a glue guy, a good role guy, but that's not the type of dude you're going to max out. Now, this offseason, somebody's going to max him out. I could see the Detroit Pistons maxing him out just because they're the Pistons. You know, what else are they going to do with their money? And Draymond's a hometown kid from there. The Lakers will make a run at him because, you know, the Draymond-LeBron thing. But I don't think the Warriors – I think the Warriors sent a very clear message by giving Poole and Wiggins those contracts. I think they sent the message that, hey, man, we're riding with these guys. Like, thanks for everything you did for us, but we're good. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep competing. That being said, I still think this team's elite. I think they're going to overcome it. I think they're going to come out of the West and make it to the finals win another championship. I just don't think they're going to have their foot on the gas for most of the year. They're going to be coasting. You know, they've been doing this for damn near a decade now, so they kind of know exactly what it takes to make it to the finals. They know it ain't about being a one seed. They just got to get into the playoffs. So I think they're going to slide in right around that four spot in the West this year. My number fifth team, this one is one of the teams I got taking a pretty big drop off from last year. It's the uh, it's the Memphis Grizzlies. You know they got a very talented roster. Anytime you got John Morant on your team, in my opinion, he's already a top ten player in this league. He's a transformational piece. He's totally turned that team around from where they were when they drafted him to where they are now. That's a really fast turnaround, and he has kind of spearheaded that movement. He's fun as hell to watch. He's exciting. Uh, the rest of their team is great. They got a lot of depth. They got Dylan Brooks. They got Desmond Bain. They got Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark. Tyus Jones is probably the best backup point guard in the NBA. Like This team is stacked, but the thing that gives me pause on them this year is Jaron Jackson Jr., he's missing the start of the year. He's got one of those injuries where they've given it the 8-12 to 12 week designation. But how many times have we seen this? I mean, we saw this with uh, with Lonzo Ball where they give you that kind of vague timetable, gets to the end, he's still not ready to play, and they give it, you know, we'll reevaluate in another four weeks. Next thing you know, the dude isn't playing until, you know, May. So I don't know if that's what's happening with Jaron Jackson Jr., but it does worry me because if you look at their stats with him versus without him, without him, they kind of fall off a cliff, especially on the defensive end. He makes a big, big impact on that end for them. You know, the stat that goes around all the time with the Grizzlies is how good their record is without John Morant, which it's crazy that their record is that good in the games he's missed over the last couple of years. But their record without Jaron Jackson Jr., that's uh, that's a lot worse. He provides a little bit more to the team, especially on that defensive end, you know, than John Morant does. So if he's missing a big stretch of the season, that gives me a lot of pause on that team. I mean, you look at some of their other pieces – um, Desmond Bain, he's going to have a big year. Dylan Brooks, he's going to have a big year. Steven Adams, I mean, the league is getting further and further away from that type of center, but still going to come in. He's still going to rebound. He's going to play defense. He's going to set good screens. Um, they didn't really add any pieces this offseason, which is another thing that kind of gives me pause. They didn't add anything. They're counting on a bigger year out of Zaire Williams. He showed a couple flashes last year. He's a big athlete. He's a long wing, so maybe he could step in and make a difference, but they lost Kyle Anderson. They didn't really replace him with anything. And he's one of those guys where he's not a star by any means. He's not even a starter on that team. He's just a glue piece. So 
we're going to see if Zaire Williams can kind of come in and uh, and replicate what he did a little bit for the Grizzlies. But I got them taking a little bit of a drop off this year. I got them finishing right at that fifth spot. And then the last team that I got locked in for the sixth playoff spot in the West, I went back and forth on this one. You know, for a little bit, I was putting them a lot higher, and then I was kind of down on them for a minute, wondering if I should put the Pelicans in this spot instead. But I'm going to go out, and I'm going to say it's going to be the Phoenix Suns. There's, there's still a lot to like about this team. I mean, everybody is down on them, how they finished the season last year. That, that was one of the weirdest – that might be the weirdest Game 7 I've ever seen in my life because they just came up so flat. I've never seen a team – Get their, get their points doubled like that in a Game 7. They didn't look like they wanted to be out there at all. So that was that was weird to see. You saw the dissension between DeAndre Ayton and their coach, and then you hear coming into the year that they still haven't even talked all offseason. That's wild. Um, Jay Crowder's not happy now. He's demanding the trade. He's kind of, like I was just saying with Kyle Anderson, he's not you know one of your best players, but he is an important glue guy. You can't necessarily replicate the production that he's going to give you through a trade. So there's a lot of dissension going on with their team. The reason I think they're still going to they're going to drop off. Obviously, they won 64 games last year, and I have them in the sixth spot now. So I think they're I think they're going to be right around like 48 games this year, which is a huge drop off compared to what they did last year. Chris Paul's a year older. I mean, he's been defying father time for years now. How much longer can he do it? I don't know. I love Devin Booker's game. Um, I think if they're going to be successful this year, this definitely has to be more his team rather than Chris Paul's team. The last, you know, last two years since Chris Paul got there, Booker has been putting up good numbers. But when you watch the team, it's Chris Paul's team. If they want to be successful this year, that's got to change. It's got to become Devin Booker's team. So DeAndre Ayton, you know, he's got another year in now. He should have a couple more wrinkles to his game. He should keep evolving. He's only, what, 24 years old, so he should be kind of entering his peak right now. He's already shown he's an elite-level defender when he wants to be, and then Mikael Bridges, he's an elite-level defender as well, so they still have the pieces. Cam Johnson is huge coming off the bench. It's it's crazy to me they didn't add – they really didn't add anything this offseason. They didn't add another off-the-bench ball handler. They didn't add any more shooting. Like They're like, whatever, we're just going to run it back. And I think when you look at the West and some of the some of the moves these other teams made, it's going to cause the Suns to slide quite a bit. And I got them sliding all the way down to the sixth seed this year. So those are my six playoff teams, Nuggets, Clippers, Timberwolves, Warriors, Grizzlies, Suns. Let's move on to the play-in team. So this is that, to me, this is actually easy. You know, when you look at the West and how it breaks down, I think, especially now that we're doing the play-in tournament, so 10 teams make it, you know, those last four, the seven through 10 spots are obviously play in, but you look at the West and how it's stacked out. I think the teams that are tanking are pretty obvious. So it leaves a team like the Lakers, who I'm not very high on. They're pretty much guaranteed a play in spot. But at the, uh, at the seven spot, you know, that first play in spot, I got the Pelicans. Uh, I'm high on the Pelicans this year. So it all starts with Zion and, I love what the kid has done. You know, not a lot of people are able to take the criticism he took last year, and he deserved every bit of criticism he got last year. Not playing for an entire year, essentially, because you're not in shape enough to play. That is unfathomable. Like, try telling some of the dudes who played in the 80s and 90s that 
you're going to be 20, what was he, 21 years old last year, and you're not going to play because you're not in shape to play pretty much? Insane. Absolutely insane. One of the wildest storylines we've ever seen. Someday they'll do a documentary on it, and kids will not be able to believe that that actually happened. But he took the offseason and uh, took the offseason, got himself in shape. I watched him that first preseason game against the Bulls, and he looks good. Zion is posed for a huge year. He looks trim. He looks lean. He looks fast. He looks explosive. I got Zion averaging like 30 points a game this year, just reminding the league what a dominant force he is. Then you look at the rest of the team. Brandon Ingram is a bona fide problem on the perimeter. Defenders can't stop that dude. He's like 6'10". He's got a solid handle. He's got a high jump shot release. Um, people always compare him to Kevin Durant, but if you look and you break his moves down, he's actually got a lot of Kobe Bryant in his game when it comes to how he gets to his spots and how he gets his shots. Um, it's not true. It's not fully built on athleticism with him. There's a lot of footwork, kind of what you see with DeMar DeRozan, where he's using you know little fakes, little jab steps, little footwork, post-up moves, stuff like that to get his shots. So Brandon Ingram's one of my favorite perimeter guys to watch. And uh, him and Zion, if they can, if they can get it right, because we've never really seen them two have it going together yet with the Pelicans. If they can get it going together, be a one-two punch. That's going to be a dangerous team this season. And then they got CJ McCollum, you know, steady veteran presence, good third option to have on offense. Jonas Valanciunas is a very reliable big man. They got Herb Jones, good young defender. Uh, Trey Murphy, good young player. Uh, Jose Alvarado, he's a very good young defender, kind of that Pat, uh, Pat Bev model where, yeah, he's playing point guard, but he ain't really your point guard. He's not running offense or anything. He's just kind of a pest out there. Jackson Hayes is a athletic freak. So they got pieces. The only reason I'm super down on them and couldn't quite put them into that playoff position yet is you look at their roster. They don't have a point guard. CJ McCollum is playing point guard for them this year. Uh, Devonte Graham is going to play a lot of backup point guard. He's, I mean, he's one of those guys. If you look at points per game, he looks like he's a solid player, but you break down his plus minus stats, you break down his shooting percentage. Um, he's just, he's not a winning player in my opinion. So they're really going to struggle at that point guard position, especially when you're talking about the Western conference, some of the point guards that these teams are throwing out there, they're going to be behind a lot of these teams in that department. That's why I got them at the seven spot. And then the eight spot, this is another massive drop-off from last year. It's the Dallas Mavericks. I got to say, I did not understand their offseason one bit. I mean, to give them a little bit of credit, I think they they were operating this offseason on, all right, Jalen Brunson's going to get a huge contract offer from New York. We're going to match it. He's going to come back. He got the big contract offer, and then he didn't even give them the chance to match it. Like everything I heard, was they were expecting to still get a meeting with him and maybe offer him a little bit more than the Knicks did, but he didn't even give him that meeting. He just took the Knicks offer and ran with it. He wanted to get out of Luka's shadow. Good for him. Uh, the Mavericks didn't do anything to replace him. They're counting on Spencer Dinwiddie taking a lot of his role. I don't know how you count on that. I mean, the Wizards signed Spencer Dinwiddie last year, and then a month into the year, they couldn't wait to get rid of the dude. They were willing to take five cents on the dollar for the dude, so... I don't know how you're counting on that. Tim Hardaway Jr. is probably their second best option on the perimeter. He's going to get you 15 points. Every once in a while, he can get close to 30, but he's not really who you want as your second option if you're trying to if you're really trying to compete, really trying to contend, which the Mavericks should be doing because Luka Doncic, he's he's in his peak right now. You know, 
it's at the peak of his powers. You guys, you don't know how long this is going to last. We've seen it with Derrick Rose, Grant Hill, Penny Hardaway, young stars that we think we're going to get 15 years out of, and it all gets taken away from them very quickly. you got to operate with the mindset when you've got one of these young superstars that you don't know how long this is going to last. So every year you got to surround them with talent. you got to surround them with pieces. We haven't seen that from the Mavericks this year. They're going to be relying on like Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleber. I mean, Christian Wood, that's a name that guys who play 2K, they're excited about that move. But guys who actually watch the game, you're like, Christian Wood, man, you're not, you're not winning with him. He's all empty stats. He's all big stats, bad team guy. You're not winning with a piece like that. So the Mavericks, I hated their offseason. You know, I would have them even further down, but they have Luka. So, you know, Luka is going to he's going to get them at least 42 wins by himself, which he very much that that might be what he has to do is drag them to like 42, 43 wins by himself. But I have them at that eight spot. And number nine, this is probably the most intriguing team to me because they have been the worst run franchise in sports history for the last like 20 years. I remember when they used to be good, like if you told if you told fifth grade me that the Sacramento Kings were going to be the laughing stock of the NBA, I wouldn't have believed you just because they were such a powerhouse back then. They had uh, Chris Webber, Peja Stoyakovich, Mike Bibby, Vladi Divac. Like they were they were that team that everybody was wondering when they're going to win a title. And ever since those guys left, they haven't been back to the playoffs. They haven't been any good in damn near. I think it's about twenty years now since they were last in the playoffs, which is absolute insanity now you look at what they did last year they made that trade for Sabonis uh, I loved the trade as far as them getting Sabonis I didn't understand why they were sending Halliburton instead of De'Aaron Fox I would have personally held on Halliburton over Fox but Sabonis I mean we watched him up close because he was on the Pacers and the Bulls had to play him four times a year that dude is an absolute matchup problem he's a big body at the four he truly plays like a modern four where he can stretch the floor. He can take you on the block. He can do a little bit of everything. Now you look at the rest of the Kings roster. They got the one-two punch with Sabonis and Fox. They drafted Keegan Murray. They're very high on him. They got Davion Mitchell. Um, he's an absolute dog on the defensive end. Another kind of He's a younger, much more athletic version of Patrick Beverly. Gives you a little bit more on offense too. Uh, they got some pieces everywhere. They went and signed Malik Monk. Good score off the bench. They went and signed Kevin Herter. Perfect glue guy for a team that's really trying to do something. Their biggest problem is they're in a stacked Western Conference. If you took this Kings team and you put them, you know, you let them rewind the clock about five years, you put them in the league five years ago, they're probably a 50-win team, but there's just so much more talent in the league right now than there was even five years ago that it's going to be hard for them just to, just to kind of make it to the playing spot. So I got them as the nine seed. I think the play-in tournament this year is going to be very exciting between these four teams. Uh, maybe they can pull an upset and kind of sneak into the playoffs coming out of that play-in tournament. And then my last play-in team is the LA Lakers. So I am all the way down on the Lakers, guys. I mean, if you go on, on Twitter and you see, you know, Lakers Nation and all these people out there, these people are delusional. These people will have you, will be trying to convince you that Austin Reeves and Kendrick Nunn and all these dudes are actual legit guys that can be difference makers in the NBA. Stop it. They're not. Austin Reeves was undrafted for a reason. Um, could he be the next Alex Caruso? Maybe. I mean, I did watch the Lakers in the preseason this year, and the kid does have 
some uh, some very nice intangibles. He clearly understands the game of basketball. He's a great passer. Um, looks like a pretty good shooter, but athletic wise, he's just not there. Like he can't stop anybody on defense. He can't stay in front of anybody, and he can't create his own shot. So he's very limited. Kendrick Nunn, I mean, the Miami Heat were looking to get rid of him. They didn't even make an offer to try to keep him. And that says a lot when an organization like the Miami Heat has no interest in keeping you around. So you look at their roster. You go LeBron, AD, Westbrook. You go outside of those guys and you look at their roster 4 through 12, and it is the worst roster in the NBA. I'm not even joking. It's worse than the Jazz. It's worse than the Spurs. It's worse than the Thunder. Like, it is horrible. I don't know. How you, how you basically take your mid-level exception and instead of bringing a real guy in who can make a difference, you bring in Lonnie Walker. That doesn't make any sense. It's kind of similar to the Kendrick Nunn thing where if you're young and the Spurs are totally cool with you leaving, they don't even make an offer to try to keep you, that's a red flag. You know, That's a huge red flag. The, the, uh, the Lakers were happy to bring him over. I think they're going to find out pretty quick why the Spurs couldn't wait to get rid of him. And then you look at their big three. I mean, Westbrook is a disaster. I feel bad for the guy. I was a huge Russell Westbrook fan. Uh, he's the rare guy who he truly gives a shit night after night in this era of load management and taking time off and you know, guys just slacking during the regular season. That was never him. He was going balls to the wall all 82 games every single year. I applaud that type of effort. It was fun as hell to watch, but it's over for him. And it seems like one of those sad situations where – Everybody knows it's over, but he doesn't know it's over yet. Like he still thinks he's that dude. And I'm sorry, Russ, you just you just ain't that dude no more. So I think it's over for him. I think we're gonna see him out of the NBA within, you know, two months here. And that's not even hyperbole. It's it's gonna happen pretty quick for him. And then you look at LeBron, what he did last year was amazing. I, I can't take anything away from him. Guys should not be able to play at that high of a level at his age with how long he's been in the league, it doesn't make any scientific sense. But he's a year older now. You look at every year since he joined the Lakers, he's missed a chunk of time in every regular season. So uh, how many games are you getting out of LeBron this year? I think you're probably getting about 60. And I think you know 65 would be the absolute ceiling of games that he's going to play this year. That's going to be a problem for the Lakers. You know those Those 17 to 22 games that he misses – I don't know if they're going to win more than like three of them. And that that really sets them behind. LeBron's just not a player anymore that can play all 82 games. He's going to sit. He's going to get hurt at some point. Like something's going to happen. It's happened every year he's been a Laker so far. And then Anthony Davis, I mean, it's crazy to see where he is now because I think he's still only, you know, 28, 29 years old, but his prime is over, guys. It's I'm not saying he's washed by any means. I'm just saying we have seen the best Anthony Davis, and we are never seeing that Anthony Davis again. He's gonna, he's still gonna be around this league, and he might even make a couple All Star games for in the next, you know, five to ten years. He's still gonna be a starter, but we're not gonna see that transformational force that that we once saw. You look at big men, and once it goes, they can they can stick around for a little bit and be kind of productive role players and productive big men still, but they're never they never get back. To that point they once were. I mean, you look at look at Dwight Howard's a great example, right? Dwight played forever. His first, you know, eight, nine years in the league, he was an absolute force. He got traded to the Lakers. 
for whatever reason, he lost it. It could be due to injury. It could be due to his attitude. Now, he was still a productive center for about five years after that. He was starting on the Rockets. They were making some playoff runs. He was putting up, you know, 18, 10, couple blocks. He was making all defensive teams. Still a very productive player. He was nowhere near the force that he once was. And I think that's what we're looking at with Anthony Davis here. I'm not saying he's a scrub now. I'm not saying he's washed up now. I'm just saying he's not a top 10 guy in the NBA anymore. I don't even have him in my top 15 anymore. And I don't think he's going to get back to that spot. And that's a huge problem for the Lakers. They did not make that trade thinking that they were getting one year of peak Anthony Davis and then, you know, this version of him. But I think that's the way it's looking. He's another guy. I You can't count on him to play games. Like, he misses so many games for so many different injuries. It's never just a knee or just an ankle. It's knees, ankle, back, shoulder. Like, this dude can't stay healthy. If you're getting 45 games out of him this year, that's going to be a massive win. So I got the Lakers as an absolute train wreck this season winning like 38 games which would be an improvement over what they did last year um the only thing that goes good for the lakers as far as making the play-in tournament is you look at the rest of the west and these dudes are going to have no interest in winning right the spurs they started tanking before anybody else started tanking by dumping Dejounte murray they got ahead of it the jazz they're tanking the rockets they have an intriguing young team they have a lot of pieces a lot of young guys. I love Jalen Green. Kenyon Martin Jr. is a hell of a player. Uh, Alperin Sangoon. All the all the basketball nerds love that guy. If you watch him, you can see why he has he has a very nice game. Um, Kevin Porter Jr. Obviously, they brought in Jabari Smith this year, so they have the pieces where if they wanted to, they could easily make a run into the play-in tournament. But the incentive with how strong this draft is, they're gonna. They're going to be smart and they're going to be like, no, we should really tank another year. So they're going to have no interest in winning. The Blazers, they're an intriguing one because on paper, you look at this team they've built and you're like, oh, they ain't really trying to tank. They're not trying to win, but they're not trying to tank. It's hard to tell what they're trying to do. I think by January, they're going to be, you know, probably five games under 500. They're going to take a long look in the mirror. And maybe this is the year that they finally 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 trade Damian Lillard to a team that deserves him to a team that's actually going to try to win and uh they really start their rebuild their rebuild I love Damian Lillard he at his peak he was one of the most fun guys in NBA history to watch especially in the playoffs I kind of think his peak has passed him I don't think we're going to get you know we're not getting 30 point per game Dame ever again but he's still you know he's still going to be able to make shots he's still going to make a difference on a team Dame is just, he's that classic case of a dude who's just stayed loyal to the wrong person for way too long. You look at every year they surround this dude with the same team. Every year it is Damian Lillard. It is a secondary ball handler who pretty much is the same size as Damian Lillard, whether it was CJ McCollum or Anthony Simons now. It's a bunch of wings who are kind of good at defense, kind of good at shooting, but not really good at either. And then it's fucking Nurkic who... That dude, like, if he's not a modern big, you know, you can't win if that's going to be your center. And they surround him with this team every single year. The names may change, but the team stays the same. And, you know, Dame stays loyal, but what are you staying loyal to, dude? It's like I worked as a bouncer for, you know, 15 years, and I would see girls, they'd come in with these clown dudes all the time, and, you know, they'd have these boyfriends, and these boyfriends would cheat on them, and they'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that, and then, you know, a week later, they're still with them and still 
They're still going back. They're still staying involved in this toxic relationship. And Damian Lillard is the NBA equivalent of that. The Blazers have never done right by him other than just giving him money and paying him properly. Um, they have never done right by him when it comes to drafting, when it comes to signing free agents, when it comes to making trades. They've never built a strong roster around him, and he just keeps staying loyal to them. So I don't know. Maybe you know, maybe around January, they're five to ten games under five hundred. They look at the landscape, and they decide to ship Dame to the Lakers for Russ and those two unprotected firsts um, or something like that just to get Dame to a situation where he can maybe win a little bit. I don't know, but I don't look at the Bla even if the Blazers stay intact this year, I don't see them winning more than like 32 games. So that is my Western Conference breakdown. Now let's go ahead. Let's look out east. So the east this year, I mean, last year the east was a bloodbath. Last year the east was a fight. And now we're looking this year and the east got better across the board. Like, you just you're sitting back as a Bulls fan, you're seeing all these moves that all these teams are making, and you're like, God damn, the East got tough this offseason. The East just it's gonna be just insane this season. So, number one off the top, I got the Bucks as the best team in the East. I mean, they have the best player on the planet. Let's not get it twisted. Stop with the Steph Curry talks, stop with the Jokic, the Embiid, the I mean, some people are still holding to LeBron or Durant. Like, stop with all that. The best player in the NBA is Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he has been the best player in the NBA for at least three years now. Like, it really hasn't been a debate if you actually watch this guy play, right? So he does everything you could ask for. On offense, he's a force. I don't know how you stop him. He his moves don't make sense. He defies physics, the way he moves, everything he does. And he's learning how to shoot. Last year, if you paid attention, he's got that turnaround fade on the block down. Like that's his shot now. He's almost at, you know, mid-2000s Kevin Garnett level with that turnaround jump shot on the block. So he's getting more and more dangerous every year. We see him add things to his game every single year. And then on defense, like the dude can truly guard one through five. He is the best help defender in the NBA, the best screen and roll defender in the NBA. The guy's a freak. I mean, his nickname is a Greek freak for a reason. And then you look at the other pieces on the team. Um, I think we all kind of agree that if Chris Middleton hadn't got hurt last year, that they probably would have beat the Celtics. They would have made it to the, to the NBA Finals and seen Giannis versus Steph in the finals, that would have been fun, uh, but obviously it didn't go that way. Now this year, he's healthy. He's going to make a huge difference, huge impact being healthy this year. Drew Holiday, one of the better, more, more underrated players in the NBA. As far as additions, they didn't really make any this year. You know, the only one they really made was Joe Ingles, and you know, say what you want about him. But the man can shoot the basketball. He can pass the basketball. He knows positionally where to be on defense. He's going to be an underrated piece for them. They still have Brooke Lopez. They still have Bobby Portis, one of my favorite Chicago Bulls of the last 10 years. Still can't believe they gave up on him so early. Um, the only real weakness that this team has is their backup point guard spot. I think they're still rolling out George Hill out there. That's, uh, you know, it's 2022. You should be able to find a better backup point guard than George Hill. But... There's going to be a lot of dudes available for trade this year. We're going to see tanking like we've never seen. So I think the Bucks got a couple moves in them. 
And Giannis has never been a player to take the off or to take the regular season off. The Bucks consistently finish, you know, right around sixty wins because Giannis is trying his ass off all eighty-two games, kind of like what we talked about with Russell Westbrook, where he doesn't know how to take a day off. That's why I love Giannis. I don't know if you guys have read uh, the biography of Giannis. Um, came out by Mir and Fader. Uh, I want to say last year, but I read that, and it's one of the most inspirational things you'll read. You read it. And you understand why Giannis is the way he is and why the Bucs are the way the Bucs are. The Bucs very rarely get blown out. They have a lot of pride. They have a lot of grittiness to their team. And I think that that starts from up top. You know, Giannis leads from the front. He, he leads by example. So I got them as the number one team in the East this year. It's, it's hard for me to see, you know, how they're not the top team in the East unless Giannis, you know, gets hurt this year. But they're going to be a problem. They're always a tough matchup for the Bulls simply because of the Giannis factor. And then the number two team, I'm a lot higher on this team than a lot of other people are. I just love what they've done with the roster. I got the Toronto Raptors as the number two team. They're kind of my dark horse in the East this year. So you look at their roster and it's just deep everywhere, right? They got athletes at every position. They're very switchable. They're very fluid. They can do whatever they want out there. So they got Pascal Siakam. We all know about Pascal. He's been, you know, he's been a good player for a long time in this league now, dating back to their championship run. He's one of those guys. He's not necessarily great at anything, but he's really good at everything. And then they're running Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes is what I wish Patrick Williams was. I say that all the time. Every time I watch this kid play, I'm like, damn, that's what I thought Patrick Williams was going to be. So I'm a huge Scotty Barnes fan. He's going to make another leap this year. OG Ananobi is a guy who it seems like year after year, he's consistently predicted to be one of the breakout players of the season. We have yet to actually see that happen yet, but maybe this is the year he's just got to stay healthy. Gary Trent Jr. is one of the better 3 and D guys in the NBA. I don't know why the Blazers kind of gave him away like that. Didn't really make sense to me, but He's a good young piece. He can make the three. He can D up on the wing. Good young piece, young piece to have. Fred Van Vliet is one of the better shot creators at the point guard position. He always seems to make big shots when it counts. And then you look at their bigs. I mean, they're running Chris Boucher out there. They're running Precious Achua. Those are two bigs who they're big bodies. They're long. They're agile. They can play a little bit of defense, and they both have a little bit of range to their game too. And then you look at their veteran pieces. They went out, they added Otto Porter Jr., who, I mean, I think all of Bulls Nation kind of hates that guy because, you know, we had to watch him up close for so many years. But he's not built to be on a team like he was with the Bulls where there's no talent around him. He's built to be on a team where his role is reduced because there's a lot of talent around him. He just gets to do the glue guy stuff like you saw uh, in Golden State last year. They have Thaddeus Young. That's another ex-Bull. I loved Thaddeus Young when he was here with the Bulls. He's a great veteran piece to have on that team. So this team is kind of stacked. And then I don't know if you guys watched that preseason game that they played against the Raptors, but they got this kid, Delano Banton. He is the prototypical Toronto guy, the prototypical Masai Ujiri guy where none of us know where the hell this kid came from, but you're watching him out there and you're like, this is another dude. He's like six, seven. He's got long arms. He can handle, he can rebound, he can defend, he can shoot. Like, this kid's nice. He's a nice piece. And Toronto always seems to find these guys. So I love Toronto's roster this year. You look at their cap situation, their pick situation. They're another team. They were in the Kevin Durant rumors. So 
they're always a candidate to make a big move if a piece comes available. And we know how the NBA works. There's going to be somebody who demands a trade here soon that we don't quite see coming yet. So the Raptors, I like the roster the way it is now, but I also think it has a lot of potential if they decide to add pieces. I got them filling in at that two spot in the East this year. And then we go to the three spot. So there are very few players that I legitimately can say that I hate, especially the older I get. You know, hating an athlete is just dumb. At the end of the day, like these guys are the 1% of their craft in the world. You have no idea what it takes to be a professional athlete. It's hard. It's a lot harder than we think it is mentally and physically. All that being said, I fucking hate James Harden. I cannot stand James fucking Harden. Just what he did to get out of Houston is shameful. You know, just coming into the season fat, out of shape, not giving a fuck. It's just, it's disrespectful. You know, people like Rockets fans, people who are going to the games, people are buying your gear. Like they're spending their hard-earned money to see you play and you can't give a shit enough to actually like go out and put a meaningful product on that court. Like that's shameful. So he goes through all that, gets his ass traded to the Nets. And what do you know? If you come into the season out of shape, guess what's going to happen? You can't just turn it on. You can't just play elite basketball. You're going to get hurt. That first season with the Nets, we saw it. He got hurt. He pulled his hamstring in the playoffs because his ass wasn't in shape because he wasn't being a professional. Now, fast forward the next year, this goes into year two with the Nets. He's still out of shape, and he's still blaming that same hamstring that he pulled last year from being out of shape that year. So he comes into the next year. He's out of shape. That starts going down the tank. What does he do? He gets even more out of shape. He demands a trade. He gets his toxic ass traded to the Sixers. First two weeks, looks great. Him and Embiid look like the modern day Shaq and Kobe. Everybody's picking them to go to the finals. Then what happens? Guess what? You come into a season out of shape. You can't just turn it on. You can't just decide, okay, now I'm going to be James Harden again. You're going to get hurt. What happens? He gets hurt. Their season tanks. Now this offseason, I see all the reports. He's coming in. He's in better shape. He's ready to go. Personally, I think I think we're way past peak James Harden now. I think that stage of his career, I think it's over. I think the years of not keeping his body in the shape that he should, not maintaining the way he should, I think it sapped him of his athleticism. Athleticism is one of those things. You look at LeBron James. If you do the proper things, you can hold on to that athleticism for a long time. If you don't do those things, that athleticism is going to leave you, and it doesn't just steadily decline. It falls off a cliff. So James Harden, watching him eye test, he's lost a lot of that first step speed. He's lost a lot of quickness, a lot of lateral quickness. He can't quite get around people the way that he used to. And now the team, the league, the refs, they're not giving him the same foul calls that they used to. So his game struggles a little bit. He's become a much more of a, a facilitator at this stage of his career. All that being said, like I said, I can't stand James Harden. It's hard to look at this Sixers squad and not see how they're going to be a contender because this team, this team's fucking loaded. And you look up top, you look at Joel Embiid, he's a force. Like, I think of all the players in the NBA, I honestly think the Bulls have the hardest time stopping him. Every time we play against Joel Embiid, he torches us. I've watched it year after year after year. They have no hope for him, whether it's Dame back to when Wendell Carter was back there. You go now to Vooch. Like, this team just has no hope for stopping Joel Embiid. He is a physically dominant force. He is entering his prime, or he's right in the middle of his prime right now. 
So you start up top with him. You got James Harden, Tyrese Maxey. He's coming on strong. Uh, Tobias Harris is still a bucket. Like this team has pieces. They have a lot of talent on this squad. And then you look at the rest of the team and uh, Matisse Thibel, one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. They went out and added P.J. Tucker, who's going to add a level of grittiness to this roster, a level of defense to this roster. They got the Anthony Melton, a much-needed point guard option, a much-needed secondary ball handler coming off the bench. Montrez Harrell, that guy, he's going to come in. He's going to hustle. He's going to get you rebounds. He's going to get you uh, some offensive boards some putbacks like that guy is certified energy coming off the bench. So you look at this roster, it's hard to see, you know, how they're not going to be there. My biggest concern with them just comes down to health. I mean, health and coaching, you look at doc rivers, you take away the Celtics championship, not exactly the greatest reputation as a coach. And then you look at health. I mean, Embiid gets hurt every year. Harder gets hurt every year. Those two guys get hurt. This team changes drastically. So I still think they're going to be a real problem in the East. I still got them coming in at that three seed. And now is when it gets a little weird because at the four seed, I got the Celtics. And a lot of people, a lot of people got the Celtics higher than this. A lot of people got the Celtics atop the East again. Yeah, I was I was really debating if I should even drop them down further because I think there's going to be a massive drop off with the Celtics this year. So let's look at their offseason additions, right? A lot of people are pointing at Malcolm Brogdon. And they're saying they got Malcolm Brogdon. Look at that guy. He can get you 20 points a game. He's the point guard they need. He's a good facilitator. I hear everything you're saying. You're right on everything you're saying. He is a great player. The problem with Malcolm Brogdon is he doesn't play. That's literally the only problem with him. He can't play. He can't stay on the court. He can't stay healthy. There's a reason he fell to the second round. It wasn't because of talent. It was because of his medicals. There's a reason that the Bucs didn't match his offer sheet to the Pacers. It's not because of talent. It was because of his medicals. And then there's a reason that the Pacers were so willing to trade him for essentially nothing. It's not because of talent. It's because he can't stay on the court. He can't stay healthy. He's another guy. If you get 50 games out of him, you got to call that a win. So a lot of people are hyping up that addition. To me, it's just another guy who needs shots who you don't know if you can rely on um, when it comes to staying healthy. They went out. They tried adding Danilo Gallinari. He's a good you know, role player off the bench. He tore his ACL. He's out for the year. They replaced him with Blake Griffin. You know, I feel bad for Blake Griffin. He's one of those guys where he's not going to get remembered properly because he had like a three-year peak where he was truly one of the best five players in the NBA. And nobody seems to realize that. Nobody seems to remember, you know, that the Clippers Blake were when he figured out how to pass. He figured out how to handle. He figured out how to shoot. He really put it all together. The dude was playing at an MVP level. Uh, for a little stretch there, but people are just going to forget about it. And now that that time is long gone, you know, I watched quite a bit of Nets games last year and he's just, he ain't there no more. So if Blake Griffin is playing minutes for your team. That's not a good sign for your team. Now you look at uh, the rest of the roster, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, two of the most talented wings in the league. Al Horford's one of the best veterans in the league. Robert Williams, he's injured to start the year. That's going to play a huge part in their team, um, but he is one of the better big man defenders in the league. Marcus Smart, one of the more overrated defenders in the league, but still a very good defender, just should have never won Defense Player of the Year. But that's not, neither here nor there. The reason I have them dropping off so incredibly far this year, like I, I have them four right now, but I honest, I wanted to put them so much lower, is the coaching. So 
look at last year. Last year, at one point, they were like 15 and 15. You know, there were stretches where they were under 500. And they had the same roster. It's not like they went out and made a bunch of moves or anything. It was the coaching that turned him around. Like Ime Udoka, he was, he's a gritty dude. He's an ex-NBA veteran. He knows how to communicate with these athletes. They have a lot of egos on this team. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. These dudes all think that they're the dude. They all think they're the man. Marcus Smart takes so many hero shots every single game. You would think that he thinks he's you know Kyrie Irving or something. Um, so they have a lot of egos to juggle on that team. And Ime Udoka is kind of the perfect guy to do it. He's not there anymore, and not only is he not there, they didn't. It's not like they got Brad Stevens to come down from the front office and take this team over. No, they're they're rolling out a dude who's never coached uh, in a head coaching situation before. With all these egos, I do not see it going well for them. I have them sliding in at the four spot, but I'm not going to be surprised if they fall all the way down to the play-in. So number five, I'm going to get a lot of people saying this is hometown bias because so many people are down on the Bulls this year, but. I got the Bulls at the fifth seed right now. Um, I get it. They didn't make a lot of splashy offseason moves, but Andre Drummond is going to be the steal of the of the offseason. Like, I don't think we really realized how much of an improvement we're getting at the backup five position until we saw him in the preseason last year. So think back to last year when Vooch came off the court. At first, they rolled with Tony Bradley. That was a disaster. They stopped that after about a month. Then they had a stretch where they were going with Derrick Jones Jr. at the backup five. He is six foot five. He cannot play your backup five. He is a great athlete. He's very long. He plays much bigger than he is, but he is not a true backup five option. Then they went out and they signed Tristan Thompson. I was screaming to everybody that this was a horrible signing, that Tristan Thompson, if you watch basketball, his plus minus stats tell the entire story with him. He might get you eight points and eight rebounds, his plus minus is going to be like negative 20 because he is just a horrible basketball player when you watch him. His teams do not win when he is on the court. This has been a trend for years now. He has fallen off a cliff on the defensive end. He might score eight points. He's going to give up about 20 points. So that was a horrible signing for them, and we saw it play out exactly that way. Fast forward. Now we're bringing Andre Drummond. Now when Vooch goes to the bench, there's not a big drop-off. When Drummond's coming in, I mean, Drummond's even better at a lot of things than Vooch is. Vooch is the better player. He's not in any danger of losing his starting job to Drummond. But Drummond is a good player, and he's still only 28 years old, which is absolutely insane. Drummond looks like he lost a little bit of weight coming into this year, too. So he looks like he's going to be able to get out there and defend that pick and roll a lot better than people gave him credit for. We saw him make it threes in the preseason. So that's going to be a very underrated signing for the Bulls. And then... Well, I mean, we didn't make a lot of additions, but we are getting a healthy Zach Levine. People seem to be forgetting we only saw about one month of healthy Zach Levine last year. Everything else you saw, he was playing a very hampered down version of Zach Levine. We're getting healthy Alex Caruso. You know, he was out for 41 games last year. That's half of the year. If we get 70 games out of him, that is huge for the Bulls this year. Um, I'm not counting on Lonzo Ball playing this year. You know, I kind of learned my lesson from all the D Rose stuff all those years ago that just don't expect to see him out there until you actually see him out there. Don't get your hopes up. So I hope we see him out there, but I'm not expecting it. Io DeSumo looks like he's ready to take that leap his second year, though. He put on a little bit of muscle. He looks much more confident in his decision making, uh, much more fluid in his shot. So I think the Bulls, you know, this DeMar DeRozan's still DeMar DeRozan, guys. Like, 
as much as people want to hate on DeMar DeRozan for not shooting threes and whatever, whatever, like not being the modern day guy, the guy is still a certified bucket. He is a winning basketball player. He has put up numbers everywhere he went. Not only that, he has made his teammates better everywhere he went. Look at his San Antonio teammates. Look at how their numbers dropped off once he left. Look at the Raptors. I mean, the Bulls last year, he was propping up players. He's a great playmaker on top of a shot maker, a shot creator. And if you watched him in the preseason, he played three games. He played 20 minutes every single game. He scored over 20 points every single game. He shot over 50% every game. So he's still DeMar DeRozan. He's still going to put up a very big year this year. So I got the Bulls sliding in to that fifth spot. You can call it a hometown pick. Honestly, I'm not going to be shocked if they get all the way up to the fourth spot. I didn't even mention Vooch. Vooch looks like he lost a little bit of weight this offseason, too. He looks like he's moving around a lot better out there. He looks a little better on the defensive end. And his shot making looks a lot better, too. He looks like he's going to play from the inside out this year. So my bold prediction for this year is Vooch makes the all-star game again. And the Bulls are going to finish at least at the fifth spot. Won't be shocked if it's the fourth spot or maybe even a little bit higher, depending on you know health and how everything else comes together. So my last certified play-in team is the Cleveland Cavaliers. So a lot of people are really high on this team. I think I'm being pretty generous, you know, putting them at the sixth spot. I mean, everybody's pointing at Donovan Mitchell. And Donovan Mitchell is a hell of an addition. Don't get me wrong. One of the best players in the NBA. If you're breaking down best shooting guards in the NBA, it's got to go Devin Booker, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Zach Levine, and Bradley Beal. It's got to be, you know, in that order, in some form. So I'm giving Donovan Mitchell all his props here. But at the same time, you look at the Cavs last year, that team was built on chemistry. They were a team that... uh they didn't necessarily have a superstar who was going to get you 30 points in the way the Bulls have DeMar DeRozan, but they had a bunch of players who could get you 20 to 30 points if you needed them to, and they all understood their roles. They all played very well off each other. So you're taking that, and you're adding in Donovan Mitchell, who Donovan Mitchell needs things to run through him, needs to be the primary ball handler, needs to be the one creating his shot. He's not a guy who is good at other people creating shots for him. He's not a spot-up guy. By any means, he's not an off the ball cutter by any means. He's a guy, he's a very, you know, center of the universe type of guy where everything needs to orbit around him. How's that going to fit in to this Cleveland Cavaliers team? It's going to be interesting to watch, but there's so much talent on this team. They should make the playoffs. Um, so I got them sliding in at the sixth seed this year. They got, you know, the thing with adding Donovan Mitchell to this team is he's a horrible defender and he's very small. He's like 6'2, 6'3 which is tiny for a shooting guard. And Darius Garland is a pretty small player too. But you look at the bigs that they got backing them up and they got Jared Allen. He's an elite shot blocker at the rim. Evan Mobley, I think, you know, three to four years from now, we're going to be calling him the best defensive player in the NBA. I'm very high on his future. Isaac Okoro is a good perimeter defender. So they got all the pieces off the bench. They're running Kevin Love veteran been there before knows what to do ricky rubio veteran been there before knows what to do karis lavert knows how to make shots so this is a deep team it's just a matter of can they put it all together can donovan mitchell mesh with the rest of this roster so those are my playoff teams once again it's bucks raptors sixers celtics bulls Cavs. now let's break it down to the playing team so this one this one's going to be controversial i got my first two are going to be pretty controversial, and I honestly debated putting both of them even further down because I think they're both going to have train wreck seasons, 
First up, I got the Brooklyn Nets. So a lot of people, you know, they look at the Nets talent and they're like, they got to be good this year. They got to be good this year. I'm not so sure, guys. I'm, I'm really not so sure. Let's take a look at the team, right? So your three best players are the three most unreliable players in the NBA. Now, Kevin Durant, one of the best players in the NBA. He is extremely unreliable, though. And I'm not talking from a personality standpoint. You know, he talks a lot of shit, but at the end of the day, he just wants to hoop. He's not going to be that dude when they were saying he's threat. He's going to sit out games and stuff. We all knew that was bullshit. That's not in his personality. That dude just wants to hoop. He's unreliable in the fact that ever since his Achilles injury, he has missed big chunks of seasons. You saw he went out last year with that MCL injury. Uh, he's missed chunks of seasons in the two years that he's been back and I don't, it's not like that's going to stop now. You know, he's 34 years old. This is entering his 16th year in the NBA, I believe. So it's not like, it's not like, you know, he's going to stop getting hurt now. I think it's just going to keep piling up. You can pretty much pencil him in to miss at least 20 games this year. So he's unreliable. And then on top of that, you look at his performance in the playoffs last year and the Celtics bottled him up. Like he did not look like Kevin Durant at all this series. That's a cause for concern. I get it. He's Kevin Durant. He's a freak. He's an alien. He's a unicorn. But it should be a cause of concern when a dude at his age with the miles he has on those tires. When he has a playoff series like that, that should be a cause for concern. That should be a little bit of a red flag. And then uh, we look at Kyrie. <laughs> Unreliable. You know, we don't know. We don't know what we're getting out of Kyrie. And here's the thing, man. Last year, I was on Team Kyrie when it came to the vaccine thing. I thought it was absolute bullshit that he had to sit out. I thought it was insane that the policy said that if a visiting player is unvaccinated, they could still play in Brooklyn because they don't live in Brooklyn. But since Kyrie lives in New York, he cannot play in Brooklyn. Like that is hypocrisy at his finest. That's one of those make it make sense type things. Like it made absolutely no sense why he wasn't allowed to play. He got screwed over there. Um, but then you look at the rest of it and I just, I can't get on board, man. Now you're sharing Alex Jones conspiracy theories and you're talking all this crazy shit online and like the dude is he's just a head case man he's the Kanye West of the NBA and it's it's not getting any better for him so and then on top of that I mean what was it two years ago when we had the January 6th riots and he used that as an excuse to take a two-week leave of absence to get his mental right like what, what are we doing, bro? What are we doing? What's going to happen? We don't know what's going to happen this year. Something's going to happen where he's going to say he needs a month off or he needs three weeks off or something. So he is just straight up unreliable in every sense of the word. Um, so you can't, you can't trust Kyrie. And then we get to Ben Simmons. And man, if you thought I was hard on James Harden earlier in this podcast, man, it, it looks like nothing compared to what Ben Simmons did. What Ben Simmons did is single-handedly the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen a professional athlete do in my 33 years on this planet. And that is not an exaggeration. Like it, he should, people were saying that people were being too harsh on him. No, man, people were being way too nice to that kid. People were being, they were handling him with kid gloves and I didn't understand it. Like, people should have been like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Like, get the hell out there and play basketball. What are we doing here? So you take it back to the root of it, right? You go back to that game seven against Atlanta. He passes up the dunk. They lose. Somebody asked Doc Rivers immediately after the game, like right after the game, can you win a, point, can you win a championship with Ben Simmons as your point guard? 
He does not throw Ben Simmons under the bus. He doesn't even say anything that harsh. He just says, I don't know. He hadn't done, like, obviously, we haven't done it yet. I don't know if we can win a championship with Ben Simmons as the point guard of our team. Which is not a crazy thing to say. It was not throwing Ben Simmons under the bus at all. Ben Simmons uses that as a force to sit out the entire season. And then when the Sixers are like, hey, man, we're not going to pay you. You can't, just, you can't just say you got your feelings hurt and sit out games and still get paid. Then he makes up the mental health excuse. And this is really where he lost me because I know people um, who are dealing with real mental health issues who still, you know, they're dealing with real stuff and they still get their ass to work every day. They still get out there. They still make it happen no matter what they're going through. Mental health is a very serious problem. And I'm glad that it's getting more attention, more light shown on it, uh, more respect given to it. But when you got clowns like Ben Simmons who are using the mental health excuse to get their way, basically taking advantage of the light that is being shown on mental health, it sets the whole movement back years and years and years. So fuck Ben Simmons. And then he gets to Brooklyn. He finally gets his way. And what do you know? He doesn't want to play. He talks all this shit. And what do you know? He doesn't want to play. And now, I don't know if you guys have paid attention to him this offseason, but he went on J.J. Reddick's podcast. No accountability shown once whatsoever. That dude lives in his own fucking world. He was out here saying he can't wait to play in Philly. He's got the day circled on his calendar. That's all bullshit. He's probably going to sit that game out for some dumbass made-up injury. So, Brooklyn... People are high on you because you got all this talent, but your three guys are super unreliable. And then the rest of your roster, I mean, Cam Thomas, Nick Claxton, they're nice, nice little pieces, good young players. Joe Harris can shoot the shit out of the ball. Um, Patty Mills is washed up. Uh, Markeith Morris ain't really that dude anymore. Um, there's just not a lot of talent on this roster outside of that top three. TJ Warren, we haven't seen him since uh, he was in the bubble lighting everybody up. So who knows what we're getting out of that, dude. I just don't see it from the Brooklyn Nets this year. And then number eight, this one's probably going to be even more controversial. I know you've been listening to this like, wait a minute, where the fuck are the Miami Heat? This is where the Miami Heat are. I have the Miami Heat at the eight spot. So let's look. Let's look at the Heat, right? They finished as the number one seed last year. People kind of forget that, but they did. They did it. They battled through, you know, the East had a lot of injuries. They battled through. They finished as the number one seed. It was a dogfight, but they made it happen. They didn't do shit this offseason, guys. Like, not a damn thing. I was looking at their roster. I was like, who the hell did they actually add to this damn roster? And it's bare. They let P.J. Tucker walk for for nothing. Um, they drafted some guy named Nikola Jovich, who I don't really know anything about. Duncan Robinson's still on this roster somehow, making way too damn much money. Kyle Lowry's on this roster, making way too damn much money. He's probably put on 5 to 10 pounds since then. Victor Oladipo's still on this roster. Like This team didn't add anybody, guys. And the rest of the East retooled, reloaded, even something as simple as the Bulls adding Andre Drummond. That is far and away better than anything the Heat did this offseason. I couldn't tell you who the Heat starting five is going to be this year. You know, they got Jimmy Butler. They got Bam. They got Lowry. You would think those three are going to start. Is Tyler Hero finally going to go into the starting lineup? Is it going to be Max Struess at the four? Uh, it's it's hard to say. You know, they, they legitimately did not add anybody. And I love Jimmy Butler. 
one of my favorite Bulls. I still can't believe the Bulls blew up that whole situation and never properly built around him. But Jimmy Butler's getting to that age now where we're going to see a drop-off eventually. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but it's going to come soon. I don't like the rest of the talent on this Heat roster. Um, we did see Jimmy Butler and Spolster kind of get into it at various points last year. So the only saving grace for the Heat is they do have a couple picks. They do have the contract of Duncan Robinson. Once a guy demands a trade, they should be able to work something out. And uh, the Heat are always, always getting big names there. So that kind of, as as presently constructed, I got their roster as the eighth seed. If they make a big trade, they get into the actual playoffs, you know, the top six. I'm not going to be too surprised. And then my number nine team, I really wanted to put this team higher. It's uh, it's the New York Knicks. I kind of, I secretly like their roster and maybe, maybe it's the D Rose influence. Cause I do love D Rose. Um, I think, I think Julius Randall is a guy who he needs a real point guard to set him up and get him good shots. That's why you saw his drop off last year. Cause he didn't have a point guard the year before. Alfred Payton, not that good of a player, but he he's a point guard. He understood how to play basketball. He understood how to set Julius Randle up. And then Derrick Rose was a steady and influence off the bench for that team. So now this year, you're getting healthy Derrick Rose back. You added Jalen Brunson, who a lot of people were saying they overpaid for him. Look at the contracts that Tyler, uh, Tyler Hero and Jordan Poole just signed, like, Jalen Brunson's kind of looking like a steal now at $109 million compared to the 140 that those cats got. So Jalen Brunson is a very good player. He knows how to get his shot. He knows how to get other players' shots. I think Julius Randle is going to go back to the form that we saw two years ago out of him. Uh, the rest of the roster, R.J. Barrett is still young, and he's still making leaps every single year. Mitchell Robinson is a good defender. Um, Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin, two young, exciting pieces. Like this team has potential. I really, really wanted to put them in the top six. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just didn't know what the pathway was. So I think they're going to be in that play in mix and they might be able to surprise, you know, the Nets or the Heat in that play in tournament and make it into the actual playoffs. And then the last team rounding out, this is another team that the national media is super high on. I saw rankings where they were projected to finish as high as two in the East. I'm just, I'm not seeing it. It's the Atlanta Hawks. Um, you know, how is, how's DeJounte Murray and Trey Young? How's that going to work? Because we like to compare Trey to Steph. Um, and when I say we, I mean the national media, people who actually watch Steph and watch Trey Young, like we, we ain't really comparing them. You know, they can both shoot from far away. That's cool. But Steph's game is so much different than Trey Young's. Trey Young has to create off the dribble. Steph creates a lot of off the ball stuff. Steph does a lot for your offense. Trey Young basically is your offense. Like he's a very, things have to orbit around him. He has to have the ball in his hands to be effective. Steph has learned how to be very effective without the ball. So now you're bringing in DeJounte Murray and, you know, he's another guy. He's used to having the ball in his hands all the time. That's all San Antonio did last year was put the ball in DeJounte Murray's hands. So not only do you have two guys who need the ball in their hand to be effective, these two guys are like 24 and 25 years old, respectively. Like they're still at that point in their career where they're trying to put up numbers. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to prove themselves. <laughs> they're not going to be trying to sacrifice touches and shots, you know, to make the team better. So I don't think DeJounte Murray and Trey Young is going to work together at all. It's a red flag to me when the San Antonio Spurs 
look at a player like DeJounte Murray, who was an all-star last year, who's still, you know, young as hell and getting better every year. When they look at you and they say, eh, we're good. Like, that's a red flag to me. You can't convince me any differently. And uh, you look at the rest of the roster. I mean, Clint Capella, he's that guy. He puts up numbers, but it seems like teams can't can't wait to get rid of him. Um, John Collins seems like the Hawks have been trying to get rid of him for a decade now. Um, see, DeAndre Hunter, he's that guy. He's always kind of been the he's going to break out this year guy for the last two years or so. We haven't seen it yet. Maybe this is the year. Um they just they got a lot of question marks on that roster. I'm not really sold on this roster. So I think, you know, similar to the Lakers out west where in previous years I think they'd have to fight to make the play-in tournament. I think you look at how the East is shaping up this year. I don't think it's going to be that much of a fight for the Hawks. I think they're going to slide into that last play-in spot pretty easily cuz the Hornets they ain't winning shit this year. The Pacers they ain't trying to win shit this year. Uh the Wizards you know, they should be in that play-in mix, but at the same time, Bradley Beal has a hell of an injury history. He could be one of the first guys to try, try to demand a trade this year, too. I don't care that he just signed his contract extension. As we've seen in the NBA, contracts don't mean anything when it comes to demanding trades. Um, Chris Epps, Porzingis, you can't really rely on him. So I could see a situation similar to the Blazers out in the West where, you know, come January, they're five to 10 games under 500. And they say, you know, fuck it. Let's just sit these guys, blow this up. Let's tank. Let's try to get some pieces in here. You look at the Pistons and the Magic. They both are very similar to what I was saying with the Rockets out, out, uh, out West, where they have so many young pieces, so much talent on these teams. They could really try, <clears throat> excuse me, they could really try and compete for a play-in uh, play spot. But with the way the draft is looking this year, there's going to be far more incentive for them to kind of tank, add another young piece, and then next year make the push for it. So I love the Magic's roster. I like the Pistons roster. I just don't think they're really trying to compete yet this year. So that's my Eastern Conference breakdown. Like I said, my playing teams, Bucks, Raptors, Sixers, Celtics, Bulls, Cavs, play-in teams, Nets, Heat, uh, Knicks, Hawks, Tanky Teams, Pistons, Wizards, Magic, Pacers, and finally the Hornets. So it's going to be a fun year this year. I think the Bulls match up pretty favorably when you look at what's going on around the league. Um, but we're going to see, you know, if the Bulls, like I said, if the Bulls, you know, come out better than I expect and they get to one of those top three seeds, I'm going to be surprised, but I'm not going to be that surprised. And Similar, if they come out and they're down, you know, that seven, eight, nine range, I'm going to be surprised because I expect better of them, but I'm not going to be that surprised. So it's going to be a hell of a year. I think there's a lot of parity in the NBA this year, which is going to make it a lot of fun to watch. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be here, you know, every single post game recapping it anytime any kind of big news breaks that affects the Bulls. I'm going to be here recapping it. I appreciate you guys following on Twitter, following on Instagram, following on TikTok, Bloody Horns Podcast, <clears throat> any of the uh, fellow Chicago podcasters, you know, people plugged into the Bulls media. Y'all ever want to collaborate on a podcast, shout out, reach out to me. Let's make it happen. Uh, season starts Wednesday, guys. Let's go Bulls.